She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I believe Mr. Mueller's report is going to come back and show that there was no collusion, which, by the way, is not a crime, but there's no collusion, nothing with the Trump uh, administration, what they're going to find in the president himself. The situation at our southern border has gone from a crisis to a national emergency to a near system-wide meltdown. Congress is still trying to undo his national emergency declaration. The president tweeting a reminder he hasn't soon forgotten. Those Republican senators who voted in favor of strong border security and the wall are being uniformly praised as they return to their states. They know there is a national emergency at the southern border and they had the courage to act. Great job. Every state's a border state. Every town's a border town until we secure the southern border. And the president is correct in taking the step to veto this resolution. And now, Stacey Washington. It's true. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I'm behind the microphone again. <laughs> and I hope you have your, uh, your listening ears perked up, as I used to say back in kindergarten, and you're ready to rumble because today's show is going to be just as fast-paced and hard-hitting as it ever could be because we have a lot to cover today. We are actually going to be chatting with Henry Rogers. He's a Capitol Hill reporter uh, for The Daily Caller. And then we're also going to dig into a number of stories. One that I thought we had to talk about today, we're going to get to it in the third segment. It's this mom. She's asking for her school district to fire her kid's kindergarten teacher because the kindergarten teacher broke out a Ouija board and was teaching the kids about evil spirits during the instructional day. Yeah, at school, while she was entrusted with those tiny little hearts and minds, five-year-olds, she decided to go there. And so this parent wants this lady out. And I can, I can only agree with the, the mom's sentiment. If she'll teach them about Ouija boards during the school day, what else will she do to those kids? So uh, we'll talk about that. We are going to get into the president getting blamed every time someone, you know, scratches uh, their their scratches a piece of, of fine, uh, you know, woodwork uh, on a wall someplace in a foreign country or even, uh, God forbid, does a mass shooting, uh, an act of terror. Uh, we, we see this. This did not happen in this country, yet we now have uh, Kirsten Nielsen, Homeland Security Secretary, making statements about combating Islam uh, and, and white supremacy. We do, We don't. We don't have a problem with that here. Yes, we have some white supremacist groups. Yes, we have some people who feel emboldened, no matter who's in charge, to be anti-Semitic. And that's on the left as well. I mean, come on. Ilhan Omar, who, the wearer of the headscarf of oppression, is a Democrat elected to Congress now by leftists in America. Um, and she's anti-Semitic. And that has zero to do with Donald Trump. So we're going to talk about how he keeps getting blamed. It's like, it's like whack-a-mole. The minute he declares that he's not for any kind of supremacy or anti this or anti that, the next thing you know, they're like, well, this guy over here in the Netherlands shot up a couple of mosques and, and it's your fault. I don't know how it could be his fault. He wasn't there. He didn't know the guy. He didn't influence the guy. And it's obvious from the screed that this guy was literally trolling the people who report on mass shootings. He literally was trolling. They have another name for it, but we can't use it here on this good Christian radio era. So uh, we won't. Welcome to the show. We're here on American Family Radio, Urban Family Talk, and a few other little affiliates around the place. We have a ton of great information for you. I want to start off with um, the question. This is our daily encouragement today. Are you a witness? 
Now, obviously, our primary, when we say, are you a witness, it's are you a witness for Jesus Christ? And I hope your answer would be yes. But I want to ask you if you're a witness to something else, because there's a huge phenomenon going on in this country. It's as silent as the screams of the babies whose lives are snuffed out every day. Thousands of babies lose their lives in this country to abortion. And so this weekend, we had here in St. Louis, the producer of Unplanned the Movie. You can go to unplanned.com to find out more about it. And I'm going to pull that up here real quick because I want to share a little bit of information about it with you. First of all, it was kind of a heavy uh, past three or four days for me personally because I went to a luncheon, uh, Lunches for Life. Um, they have lunches once a month. It's a luncheon. They have a speaker. It's pro-life, and it's run by an organization in Southern Illinois. I have not yet had a chance to go to one until this past Friday because they were hosting them in Illinois at a distance that would make it impossible for me to get back here to the home studio and broadcast the show. So I'd never been to one. Friday was my opportunity. They held it at the Ritz-Carlton at the Chase Park Plaza over in, in the Central West End. So I was easily able to make it there and then come back and do the show. And the topic there, uh, they had a, a wonderful speaker. She chatted about the way we communicate surrounding abortion. We use terms like post-abortive, post-abortion when we should be saying reproductive loss, because whether the woman is ready to acknowledge it or not, she's suffered a loss. It's a loss she chose to suffer. But as with many things that are sinful and go against God's word for us and his will for us, we're often duped, tricked, coerced into making sinful decisions. The, re the responsibility still lies with the person individually, but those who are culpable and a part of that play a huge role in stopping women from getting healing and coming away from that history and not repeating the same mistake. And so that luncheon, she talked to us about language, about intent, about, you know, how you can really want to help someone, but the language that you use surrounding, maybe they've had a miscarriage, it's not an abortion. And people tend to dismiss miscarriages, especially when they're early on. And it's done in a way because you want the person to feel better. And so you try to get them to dismiss it too. When the reality is, a reproductive loss early in the pregnancy or late in the pregnancy still amounts to a huge loss for the couple that's suffering through that. And yes, I said the couple because the men suffer too, but they have even less ability to grieve and to get over the, the, the loss because they're often treated as someone who really wasn't a part of the entire uh, event, the, 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 the loss itself. So that speaking engagement, you know, I'm sitting there listening to her speaking and it was just, it was really tough for me to hear because I consider myself to be well-versed in discussing this topic. And I learned from her that I've been using some language that could really hurt people instead of helping them. So then Saturday was the private screening here in, in uh, St. Louis. It was held in, um, I guess that would be considered Frontenac. I'm not sure. It, it's, it's in a suburb of St. Louis. And there were about, I'd say maybe 250 people there maybe um, in a private screening area of a private school. They have a huge performing arts center and they gave that space for free to the organizers to set this up so we could see the film. And uh, the event was bought out, meaning the producer was brought in and some other people from Abby Johnson's organization to uh, talk about, to do a Q&A afterwards. And there was a little bit of, you know, light hors d'oeuvres beforehand. And the reason I'm telling you about this is because the movie's going to open nationwide and you're going to hear some things about it. And I need you to hear the truth from me first. 
and I'm not involved with the film. I don't get any money from it. I don't get any publicity. I'm not in formal partnership with them. So this is me speaking to you from the heart. You have to go see this film. You will be crying. Other people in the theater will be crying. You will hear audible sobs. It is not going to be an easy movie for you to see. But being a Christian isn't about being easy. Doing the right thing never has anything to do with things being easy. And I need you to take the, the, the moment to commit to yourself that you will go and see this film and that you will take, if you have teenagers in your life, you'll take them to see it too. So the film has been given an R rating. And the reason for the R rating is because the Motion Picture Association of America has a number of categories that they evaluate every single film that is shown on a screen here, uh, you know, in, in our country. And one of those categories is extreme violence. So there's no profanity in the movie. There are no sexual situations. There are no, there's no sexual innuendo. Um, and there's only extreme violence. And so, it, first of all, we have to give glory to God that for the first time ever, a major organization in Hollywood has agreed with those of us who stand on the side of life and God's word that abortion is extreme violence. They have given the film an R rating because it shows what abortion really is from the perspective of the woman who's receiving the abortion and the nurses in the room. So it's rough to watch, but it's not more than you can handle. And if you've seen any horror movies, if you've watched any of the Walking Dead television shows, I'm not into zombies, but I know that's really popular right now. If you've watched any vampire movies, if you've watched any movie at all that's ever been rated R in this country, you've seen worse and you're able to watch it. Um, when, afterwards, when we had the Q&A and people were asking about the appropriateness of having teenagers come and see it. The producer shared because they've shown 33 private, I guess that was 34 uh, on Saturday, 34 private screenings across the country at schools, churches, um, you know, any venue that's large enough to hold a few hundred people, they've been showing it. And he said in the black community, they actually went to a, uh, a church in a black community, the church is majority black, and the parents had their eight and nine and 10-year-olds there. And he said, this movie is graphic. Are you sure you want your eight-year-olds here? And the mom looked at him and said, those, those are my, that's my eight-year-old, that's my 11-year-old, and they're here to watch this because they're going to learn about this from me. They're going to learn about this from a film that I choose. They're not going to learn about this in school from Planned Parenthood. And so he said he felt like it was a cultural difference because I guess from his mind, black parents are more willing to expose younger kids to this type of information than say, you know, parents of another uh, ethnic background. And all of that aside, because he was sharing that with us from his personal experience, I'm telling you as a mom um, of three teenagers, kids who I don't, I, I, I don't want them to see it. I don't want them to see it because I don't really want them to know what happens inside of an abortion inside of the clinic where these women go to have abortions. But they're going to go see it because this isn't about what I want. It's not about my feelings. It's about making sure that every single person who has the opportunity to see this film gets to see it. Now, uh, there's been other things that I've recommended and people have, you know, disagreed. They've agreed. I'm not here for the agreement or the disagreement. And I'm not saying that out of disrespect. I'm saying it because this is an issue that touches one out of every three people in the entire country. This is an issue where we've had so many abortions in this country that you can't be anywhere in America right now and not be near a woman or a man who has 
some part of their family, whether it's themselves or their spouse or a sister or their mother or multiple members of their family who have not been touched by abortion. Either they were themselves almost aborted because their parents changed their mind. They have siblings who've been aborted. They themselves have had an abortion or their girlfriend or, or wife has had an abortion. This is an issue to which we can honestly say that we all as Americans are a witness to. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today about, are you a witness? And so if you are unaware of anyone in your family, extended family, friends, coworkers that's had an abortion, the reason why you don't know about it is because of the shame. The shame is appropriate, but the shame is also what the enemy uses to take away the ability for Americans to go out and get the healing that they can get, that they can only get at the foot of the cross from Jesus Christ. And so when we are a witness or we aren't witnesses because we don't know, because no one is willing to talk about it, the enemy wins. And I believe that this movie, Unplanned, is going to be the door through which many, many millions of Americans walk through. And on the other side, they're going to find healing from healing and forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And they need to find a welcoming place to lay their heads, to receive the hugs and comfort that they need from all of us who, if you already are pro-life, you're already on the right side, but maybe you yourself need to experience healing as well. So again, I, I, I don't normally take this much time out of the program because y'all know the airtime is precious and it is brief, but this is important. This is probably one of the most important recommendations I will ever make to you about a film or a piece of entertainment. And I want to make sure that you understand you're not going to suffer through this because the, the film is extraordinarily well done. The production values are just as good as anything you're going to see if you go to the movies tonight and see uh, that battle bot, the battle angel, Alita battle angel. I've seen that. You, you guys know me and my family go to the movies a lot. I've already seen that. The production quality is just as good as that. The storytelling and the narration in the film, everything about it is top-notch. This is not a B-movie or something that's relegated to some alternative channel. This is an amazingly well-done film. And there are high points in the film and low points just like any other story. The only difference here is it's real. Abby Johnson wrote the book, and they've now made it into a screenplay. And I'm recommending that you go and see it. When it opens the first weekend... Don't delay. See it the first weekend that it opens. And then once you've learned from it, spread the word. All right. We'll be back with our first guest right after this. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
visit redeemclean.afastore.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. A few years before he went home to be with the Lord, I had the privilege of spending several hours with a man God used to mold and shape my life, Dr. Douglas B. McCorkle. Our meeting was a taste of heaven. During our time together, I asked him questions and I took notes. This seasoned warrior shared with me principles and truths from the treasure house of his experiences. At the end, we prayed together and said goodbye. Little did I realize that would be the last time I would see him. But that session marked my life in a profound way. We all need patriarchs in our lives. That's why I'm drawn to Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Just picture it. Here's this venerable old warrior of the cross, if you will, this bridge person, one who had been in the very presence of Moses from the beginning. He's standing in front of these folks he had led into the promised land, and they'd seen the fulfillment. He reminds them through the richness of his experience, now pay attention, not one word from God has failed you. Godly patriarchs remind us that they're not going to be with us forever. They're moving on. But these godly patriarchs certainly do point us to the unfailing God who has kept them. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Go by and see an older follower of Christ. Don't be in a hurry. Ask them questions and let them talk. You'll be better for the experience. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. You can find out more at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and StacyOnTheRight.com. Um, I actually, while we're waiting to get our guests together, I wanted to uh, listen to this White House Chief of Staff Mulvaney audio. He's talking about President Trump being blamed for something. Every time something bad happens, he gets blamed. And the reason that this is such a great statement coming from the chief of staff and also for him to make this statement is that it seems like, you know, the president could literally be handing out $1,000 bills to people in, you know, he could be in in the heart of Chicago or someplace where, you know, there's rampant poverty. He could be anywhere. He'd be handing out $1,000 bills and they'd say, look at him giving money to the poor. He hates black people. He hates, you know, he they would just twist it. It's one thing to lie. It's another thing to only be able to lie. Where if your mouth is moving, you know someone's lying. That is like, that's extra, right? Um, and that's, that's what we're looking at. So let's listen to that one. It's number three. I, I disagree that there's a causal link between Donald Trump being president and something like this happening in New Zealand. But that's not the argument or, or the suggestion there okay, though, by the judge or by that statistic. Is the president aware that this is a rising threat? Uh, again, a rising threat. I think the president, you saw, you saw him ask the other day, does he think it's a rising threat? And he says, no, I think there's uh, information that would back that up. 
The, the issue is how do you stop these crazy people? Whether or not there's one of them or four of them doesn't make a difference if they're willing to go on live TV and stream the murder of people. So I think that's where the time is better spent. Instead of worrying about, well, who's to, who's to blame? How do we stop from doing this? Donald Trump is no more to blame for what happened in New Zealand than, than Mark Zuckerberg is because he invented Facebook. There are some terrible people in the world. We need to work with our partners, of which New Zealand is one of them, to try and figure a way to find them, expose them, and bring them to justice. But again, I, I really, it's, it frustrates me just as a citizen that everything, something, every time something goes wrong around the world now, not just in our country, somehow the President of the United States must be responsible. And that's just, that's absurd. And it doesn't help contribute to the dialogue that's necessary to fix these problems. And it doesn't. Um, and, and first of all, and this is not to, to diminish the sorrow that's felt over seeing people gunned down in their place of worship. And y'all know I don't believe that Islam is a religion. I think it's a political system that masquerades as a religion because its primary aim is domination and subjugation and a worldwide caliphate. But that, you know, uh, that aside, um, anytime people are getting killed, we're, we're against that, right? We're against it. So it doesn't matter what religion they're practicing. It, what matters is they were gunned down. But it's not in our country. So, yes, it's a horrible story, and yes, we mourn the loss of those people, but it does not pertain to our president to try to solve what's happening in another country. Just like it didn't, it wasn't Barack Obama's job to solve terrorism in other countries when it happened when he was the president. I mean, I think we should be able to uh, all agree on that. All right, let's go to the phones. We actually have um, Henry Rogers. He's a Capitol Hill reporter for the Daily Caller News Foundation. Henry, thanks for joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. So this subject, um, pivoting over, you've got the 2020 Democrats now are campaigning on and fundraising on lowering the voting age to 16. What's funny about that is that they're kind of picky about when a person is smart enough to do something. Like you can't drink until you're 21. You can't serve into the military until you're 18. But you should be able to vote at the age of 16. It's kind of nonsensical. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, originally, it started with you know some uh, House member calling for legislation to get this, this passed uh, down to 16. Nancy Pelosi ended up taking a position on it. And from there, I, I basically just went all throughout the halls of the Capitol and found uh, five of the 2020 Dem candidates. Um, and I asked them straight up to their face. I said, would you be willing to lower the voting age to 16? Because nobody had asked them this question yet. And uh, they all were for it. I mean, not for it, saying yes, we're for it. But they said they would be open to the discussion. So that just shows you where, where the party's headed. Okay. So, um, you know, the big joke, and I know this is not about voting, but it's about immigration. The big joke is that if Mexico were a conservative nation, that was poverty stricken. And so all of South America were just populated by conservatives and they were sending people into the country and the people were reliably voting for Republicans, that the Democrats would be down there with their own bare hands, building the wall out of whatever they could get their hands on. They'd be pouring the concrete, you know, uh, mortaring the cinder blocks. They'd put that wall up and it'd be 300 feet tall and 60 feet deep. And it would be, you know, full of barbed wire and other other instruments of terror. They would not permit it to go on. It's the same thing with, with, with this. If Democrats didn't control K-12 through education, uh, they would not want 16-year-olds to vote. Yeah, no, you're 100%. And, 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 I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, Dems obviously want more votes, and they realize their base 
is full of young people. That's really what it is. And they want to do that. So that's why they, are, they don't want to come out and say, yes, we're fully on board yet. We're fully on board. They don't want Republicans to use that against them when it comes down to it. They're not, it's not going to happen. They're not going to get the, the, vote, the, vote, the voting age lower to 16. But they're going to keep playing it like it will happen. Eventually, if Dems do take over, if they do win in 2020, take over the Senate, uh, you know, even the presidency possibly, uh, then, then is when we should all be in, in, in serious fear because that's when voting age could actually be lowered to 16. And, and we could see just the, the Democratic Party continue to fight on here uh, and push kind of kind of push everybody out uh, as boys. So, okay, how how does this work? It would be a simple piece of legislation that would lower the voting age because I'm just. And the other thing is, yeah, they might get a rush of votes the first go round, but teenagers are notoriously fickle, and so the the Republicans could come out with a huge push um, to empower younger voters. And they could come out with a platform that speaks directly to 16-year-olds and, um, you know, talk about how Uber and all the things that they really love are products of capitalism. And they could really actually work hard at, um, you know, putting out the, their message to these young people and flip them to be Republicans. And then what would the Democrats do, you know, vote to raise the age? I mean, I just everything they're doing is surrounding getting votes, but all of it is nonsensical. It's the the uh, national movement to take away the Electoral College, same thing. It could flip, and we could have Republicans winning the popular vote, and then what would they do? Right, and it's just—it's it, not fair at all. And like you were saying, the younger crowd is who's really is energizing this Democratic base. So if, if we have lowered the, ex, the expectations, the if, if if sixteen is now the age where uh, anything goes, we can vote. I mean. To be honest with you, I, I was thinking about this. What were you? What were you doing at age sixteen? What was I doing at age sixteen? I, I, <laughs> I can tell you, I honestly was not at a mental place at a, at a state where I was old enough to make a decision to vote. I personally was not. No, I was think, I? <laughs> That's yeah, why I'm laughing. <laughs> no, I know because it's it's funny, and I think that it's I think it's kind of crazy how Democrats actually think that at age sixteen someone is, can can actually make that decision for themselves. They're, they're not there yet. I mean, they haven't even been to college yet. So let's give it a let's like let's 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 hold that. Let's break this because it's a little insane. Um, and I, again, I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. But if Democrats win this election cycle, it's highly possible this happens in the future. So what? So what? In what ways do we fight back against this? Because I'm I. So if I were there, I because I like trolling people and I like making them really own their 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 ideas. I would say in addition to lowering the voting age, we need to lower the age with which people can go into the military. So, you know, amendment to this bill, kind of like a poison pill, but really not. 16-year-olds can enroll in the military, also lowering the age with which you can get married and raising it for those states that are backwards and in, you know, in in the the dark ages and have it at 12 or 13, make the age that you can uh be emancipated 16, the age you can Vote sixteen age right. you can go into they the military would, drinking. All, yeah, they would have to change all of these rules if they want to do voting to sixteen. Then they can't just leave out all these other uh, age regulations and, and rules that have been put in place. It's, especially the military. I mean, if you lower the age, of, there's a there's a reason why there's an age of eighteen. Okay, and it's just it's not just like there for you know fun and games. It's because that's when someone is 
uh, mature enough to, to, to make decisions for themselves and become an adult. 16, you're not, you're not there. You're not there yet. So, well, and also the body I get, I get, is, I is usually somewhat if, if done. They do that, you know? If they do that, then they're going to put, they're going to have to put themselves in a, in a little situation here where they're going to have to talk about lowering the military age to 16, which is not a good idea in my opinion and things like that. So, I mean, Democrats just need to get together. And the way to fix this is by Republicans just need to turn out and vote. And they need to vote so this doesn't happen, so that Democrats don't take control of the House and uh, or of the Senate and uh, possibly maintain control of the House and the presidency. We can lose the presidency. So if we don't get out and vote, that's possibly where this country is headed. So I agree with you. Um... But what are, what are the chances? Because I think one of the things that you so you just said that is you really do if you if you lower the voting age, you really have to start reevaluating everything. And I think a lot of the people who are are you know currently voting with the Democrats and they're they're not hardcore activists. They're just people who get really excited about these new you know. There's supposedly a fresh idea. It's so stupid, but it's supposed to be a fresh idea. But then they start to think when when you say we're going to lower the voting age. Parents don't feel at all like you can help your kid vote for whoever you vote for. So you, there's no, there's no threat there. But if you add these other things in and say, in addition to voting, it's going into the military, it's marrying, it's emancipating yourself. Think about how many teenagers run away from home for the weekend on a tear about not being allowed to, to do something. And they say they want yeah. to be emancipated. How many of them on that Monday would show up at court 16 years old and emancipate themselves and what parents would do? Because you really can't, control every minute of your child's day. You just try to raise them the best you can. These are things that people need to understand. If you lower the voting age, you open the door for all of these other things to be lowered, and you won't be able to stop that train once it starts. No, I think that's an extremely fair point, and it's one that I actually, I, I've, I've considered, but I haven't really thought that much of. I think that's extremely fair. I mean, if you, if you want to, if they want to do that, then I think Republicans should maybe fire back with some, uh, with, 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 with some legislation like that, saying, okay, if you guys want to do that, let's put this, this, and this into the bill as well so that you all will have to make your decision on if this is actually smart or if this is just dumb politics. Yeah, just, just, just you guys throwing stuff out there because it, I, sometimes I feel like they sit up in a room, especially with the Green New Deal. I mean, Henry, come on. And if you're just joining the show, <laughs> we're chatting with Henry Rogers, Capitol Hill reporter for Daily Caller News Foundation. Um <laughs> So, Henry, when I saw the, the, you know, the details about the Green New Deal, I thought it's almost like they get in a room and they pass around a bunch of illicit drugs. And then once everybody's high, <laughs> they start writing stuff down. And then when they're done, instead of going, OK, that was fun and throwing it away, they're like, this is our legislation. And they bring it out and they, they actually stick to it no matter what. The, this is a part of that craziness, because if you don't have any kids or if you were yourself or in your early 20s and you really don't, you, you know, can't think clearly um, obviously you can, you're younger, but you, you're, you can think clearly, but on, for people who aren't thinking clearly, they're not remembering how stupid they were when they were 16. I, I remember specifically, I had all these thoughts about how I knew more than my parents and I just knew I knew more than they did. And I wasn't even 23 before I realized that when I was 16, I was a total idiot. Like when I turned 23 and I was like, man, I was a total idiot. I called my mom. I was like, I was just such a huge idiot when I was 16. She was like, yeah. No, and that, that's what I'm saying. Is, I mean, I can't imagine having the right to do what an adult could do at age 18. It just, it's, it's, it's bewildering. And back to the Green New Deal, I mean, these guys are out of their mind. They're <laughs> out of their mind. And, I mean, and the, no Democrats can really even support it. It's like, 
they're just they're so confused by it. These these Democratic senators, at least, are just so confused by it. Like you were saying, it is almost like they're in some room just passing around drugs. It's like, where do you even come up with this stuff? It's so it, it's amusing, but at the same time, it's a little disgusting to see where the party's headed. Well, and it's frightening because there's a lot of people out there who that so. I'm seeing a pattern where they make these wild proposals and then the people on CNN and MSNBC clean it up for them. So with this voter age lowering thing, I mean, there's a chance that what they'll do is they'll they'll present it like it's this really great idea. Right. It just is so empowering, blah, blah, blah. It gets people to start voting early so they'll actually have it be in the habit of voting and we can increase the percentage of Americans who actually vote. And I'm not I'm not actually against more Americans voting. I just want them to be informed. But um, the CNN and NBC will clean it up for them, the, and they'll paper yeah, no, they'll, over they'll, the they'll negative go, consequences. Yeah, they'll go right on air, and they'll act like this is the greatest thing to hit the country, you know, uh, of all time. And they'll go out, they'll go out, and they'll make it sound extremely appealing to all the CNN viewers and all the MSNBC viewers. And from then, it kind of spins the narrative. It gets people involved in the country. Your average person who didn't know this was a thing now thinks it's a very good thing. So they go from thinking that this was a crazy even, I've never even heard of this idea, I've never even considered this idea, to now thinking it's the golden age era of ideas and it's something that will drastically change the country. And, and people will start believing it. And that's scary. Well, I believe it will drastically change the country. I believe there will be a lot of it parents crying, will. you know, about their kids emancipating themselves at 16 and crying because their kids will be sent off to fight in Afghanistan at 16. Um, think about it. You could be dropped out of high school and running around and you could think, you know what? I don't have a life. I'm on the streets. My parents are talking about kicking me out. I'm going to go join the military. And you could be 16 years old in the military. And I, I served in the military. And I remember being, uh, I was, oh, geez, I was 20 or 21 when I went in. And I remember thinking to myself, this is no joke. Like it was, it was like going from fluffy pillows and soft hair dogs, you know, Maltese puppies to, uh, like straight up real world warfare. I was on land on the ground with an M60, you know, qualifying for marksmen and they were teaching me real world stuff. And I was exactly. 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Capitol Hill reporter for the daily caller news foundation. One of our favorite organizations. We love the daily caller. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Talk to you again soon. Have a great one. All right. We'll be back with more. We'll take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866 866- Nine six three two zero three seven. Stay there. it take to be a sports success and a team player here's pro football hall of fame coach tony dungy with today's uncommon moment for hall of fame linebacker bobby bell who played in the 1960s football was just another job but it was a job he did better than anyone else in his era at that time athletes weren't the well-paid superstars they are today especially black athletes while playing for the chiefs bell also worked on an assembly line After he retired, he went into business for himself, opening a barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. Then, in 2015, at the age of 74, Bell went back to college and completed his degree, 
honoring his father's wish that he get a good education. Bobby Bell was an uncommon physical specimen, but it was his uncommon work ethic and perseverance that made all the difference. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. One goal is that we're hoping that believers will come to learn more about prayer and more about the vital place it's to have in the life of every single believer. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Each and every one of us is called to live a life given to prayer. All of us are wise to make prayer a big part of our individual lives. And we're wise to make it a big part of our life in our families and in our homes. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Successful overrides of a presidential veto are rare, and Congress lacks the vote to override President Trump's veto of a plan to overturn his declaration of a national emergency for the border. The Senate came up eight votes shy of the two-thirds needed to override. The House was 40 votes short. A veto override isn't in order just because the president vetoes a bill, and one could argue that House Democrats may not want to attempt an override. Democrats won control of the House because they won with moderate to conservative freshmen. They represent battleground districts where the president is popular. Republicans could attempt to weaponize a vote to override the president's veto against vulnerable Democrats. But a House veto override effort is expected March 26th. By contrast, House Republicans look forward to trying to override President Obama's veto of a bill to repeal Obamacare in 2016. The GOP came up short, but Republicans had campaigned since 2009 that they would repeal Obamacare. So voting to override the president was a good ballot for many Republicans to cast. Then House Speaker Paul Ryan knew they didn't have the votes, but said at the time he would let the process play out. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome. Welcome back to the program. Um, I want to go to the phones first, and then we'll get to the story about the the Ouija board and all that stuff. Uh, we got fantastic people just waiting in the call queue. Thanks for being with us today, Pat in Kansas. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, Stacey? How you feeling? You know what? I don't sound so stuffed up anymore. <laughs> I think I'm going to live. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, praise God. <laughs> well, hey, uh, it, was, it was good hearing you guys, you and Henry, talk and chit-chat just now. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Uh, concerning what you were talking about. Yeah. I don't think that with the left, the play is ever, the issue is ever the issue, first of all. Going to, uh, you know, their, 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 the way that they do the Alinskyites in their books and stuff, they never make the issue up front the issue. So the play, if you look at what you guys were talking about, when you look at kids who can emancipate or divorce from their parents, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. when you look at lowering the age of drinking or uh, when you start talking about lowering uh, the, these different types of ages and everything, even for voting, it's not necessarily about that. What it is is to normalize something that would be an abnormal behavior. And what they're trying to do is socialize with, through the uh, 
the can, if you will, of the, the echo chamber of their media friends, the whole concept of accepting pedophilia. Right now we hear about same-sex attracted people. What you're about to start hearing about is minor attracted people. Mm-hmm. And we used to call it a lifestyle choice, and that is now we've gotten it into the books. We even had Ruth Bader Ginsburg refuse to recuse herself from uh, the, uh, the case on gay marriage, even though she had just officiated a gay marriage. So she wouldn't even overturn her own activity. Let's not talk about that, though. Mm-hmm. But the whole concept is now that we've gotten into this realm where we accept, uh, you know, on its face that this can be a viable option for relationships, it is something else that they're pushing. And what they are pushing, when you see toddlers and tiaras, when you mm-hmm. see uh, everybody saying that R. Kelly is okay because he's good and all this different type of stuff, is that they are pushing you to accept pedophilia. That's yeah. what the play is going to be. And what we as a Christian community need to do is say this far and no further. And then we need to actually, like you have with your trainer, sitting down there in the dirt and the sand, K-pot in your face, learning how to shoot that 50 cal or that, that, uh, that 60, that M60. We need to start pushing and fighting back because here's the deal. We're sitting here all the time allowing these punches to land on us. We're sitting here abiding by the God that they have, which is the, the uh, PC culture, that mm-hmm. altar to the PC God. But what we aren't doing is going in the offense. What we're doing is sitting back and playing by their rules. And they aren't afraid to come straight up in our chest and go by their mantra. Get them no, they're not. Or it's too late. So- yeah, they're, and they're not afraid to get violent. They're, they're happy to, you know, smash eggs on people's heads and, uh, you know, mix it up and get rough with old Americans who are just standing out with a flag or standing at a protest. They don't, they don't mind that. They think it's a part of what they're doing because they feel like we're uh, immoral. But what I see is a definite accepting, Pat, where it's it's basically whatever your sin is, whether it's, you know, you like children or you want to kill babies after they're born. You, you know, you, you got a problem with um, uh, parents having control over their kids. You, you want to be able to take their tax dollars and fund the schools, but you don't want them to have anything to do with what goes on in it. And on and on and on and on. We see them saying uh, that line you just drew. We're not just going to run over that line. We're going to run straight at you with our heads down. And if we can knock you down and run you over, we're going to. We've got to start pushing back. And and that's why I just want to circle back to what I said in the first segment about, um, you know, unplanned the movie. Uh, and it's I'm sorry, I want to give that website again. Unplannedfilm.com. Unplannedfilm.com. Go there. Check out the resources. Share it. And make sure and let people know you're going to go see it because other people out there who don't have as much courage are waiting to see someone they know and respect take a stand. And then they may never like the post. They may never send you a message and say, oh, it's cool you saw the movie. They might not comment, but they're going to go act based on what they saw you do. So take that mantle that you have of leadership and use it. Use it for God's glory. This is the kingdom work that we're talking about here. And you, y'all know how much I... You know, I have a passion for talking about politics. I believe politics is the tool that we use to change uh, our government and, and maintain its structure or tear it down or build it up or whatever. But in the big scheme of things, it's these core foundational issues, whether babies deserve to live, whether a person is a person from the moment conce- of conception onward, whether that ultrasound picture that a young mom puts up on the refrigerator or texts the picture out to her group text to her whole family, if that's a baby or a choice. If reproductive rights are the God that we're going to bow down to, or if we're going to bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ, who the savior of us all, we have to decide. And then once you've decided, you can't keep it to yourself. You have to be out there. You have to be swinging for the fences because this is your only chance. 
We're not going to have another chance to stand up for this. If we decide to wait and lay back and be quiet, then they're going to win. You know the end of the story, they don't win in the end, but where do you want to be when it's time to decide who fought and who sat back and did nothing? Because there's only two teams. As much as people want there to be three teams, like one in the middle that's a moderate team that doesn't defend people but also doesn't believe in all that nasty, horrible carnage, but there isn't a third team. That third team that you think you're on is just the, it's the, the enemy's team, and he's deceived you. And while you're sitting there feeling you know, just a tad bit smug and a tad bit like, you know, I don't, I don't get into politics. I have, I have people who tell me that. Oh, yeah, because you talk about politics. I don't, I don't get into that. I just talk about Christianity, and I just don't want to be involved in politics. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, but are you, like, are, when you say you don't want to talk about it, but if someone says something to you that's not true, like abortion is okay, you're going to stand up to that, right? I don't talk politics. Well, abortion isn't politics. Abortion is an abomination that goes against God's creation, and those who dally in it, approve of it, condone it, support it, are on the wrong team. I don't care how high your hands are on Sunday. I don't care how loud you sing when you're in the choir. If you're supporting abortion, you're on the wrong team. That's not from me. Just go to the scriptures and look it up for yourself and then make your choice. Don't make it about me. All right, let's go to Iris in Texas. Iris, thanks for calling the show today. Oh, good preaching. Excellent preaching. I couldn't have said it better myself. I just, I love you, Stacey, and I love your bold stand. And I'm Thank in a you. town of about um, 40,000 outside Dallas, and our uh, pregnancy resource center, I, I support it. I've walked on it. I've been in the walks every single year, and it does amazing work. And the bottom line is one of the supporters of the resource center bought out uh, the showing for a private showing of Unplanned mm. on um, next Monday night, and within about two weeks of uh, letting them, uh, letting people know on the website, it was completely, 100 seats were completely sold out, and it's, and um, I wanted to suggest that for other people in other communities to do that to get the word out. Yes, Iris, thank you for that reminder. Fantastic. Thank you for for the call and for reminding me of that. And let me let me share that with everybody. Um, so it, if you go to unplannedfilm.com, you can find your local theater where it's showing. It's going to be in a thousand theaters across the country, so that's a full release. Um, and more theaters are being added daily. You can pre-order tickets. But as Iris just said, there's an opportunity for you to put your money where your mouth is. You can buy tickets to a private screening. You can also buy a private screening for a group. If you have a youth group that you, uh, your kids are in and you want to show it to them. Because the, the producer and the people who are making this film, are they're literally flying all over the country. Anyone who reaches out and says they want to buy a theater out, they bring you the film so you can pre-screen it before it hits the theaters. So they'll bring it to you. All you have to do is say, we have this group of people who want to see it. Then what, what, here, what we did here locally, and I wasn't a part of organizing it, but I say we because it's, it's a friend of mine. She's a physician, Helen, who organized this. Um, Helen just said, look, this is, this is what we want to do to a local Catholic school that is cash flush. I mean, this place is, it's like, it looks like a college campus, but it's a high school. She went to them, uh, went there, the, the person who does their events, and said, you have this theater. Do you have a day when nothing's going on in it where we could show this film? The producer's willing to fly here and show it. And I will email and sit, put the message out, and I'll get some people here. And she said, we actually want to get some donors here and raise some money uh, to, to buy out a few more screenings, like to buy a theater out 
for one night, which in in most places here in the middle of the country, you can buy a theater out for between fifteen hundred and twenty five hundred. That means you buy the screen and the the block of time before, during, and after the film you want to show, and they show the film you want to show, and you can pack the theater with however many people you want. You can charge them admission, or you can just let them go in, and you've paid for the theater time. So that's what they did. They had big donors there, people that I I recognize that are big in the donor field were there that evening. Um, And then there were also, you know, a few kind of local celebrities and then the producer and then a whole bunch of people, you know, that I've seen at pro-life things. Some of the women who were there were literally the women that are on the sidewalk uh, doing like, like Iris said, there were women like Iris who they just pray. They just stand out there and pray. And I, I, I want to encourage you because as serious as the movie is, And I just, I've been so blown away this weekend. It's so emotionally draining, the issue of abortion presented in the way that it was. But it was also a lot of hope because there's redemption in the movie. And there's also this, there's this amazing phenomenon that goes on because we think that the people who are outside the clinics praying, we know they're praying and we believe that prayer moves mountains, you know, yada, yada, yada. You guys get what I'm saying. Don't email me because I said yada, yada, yada. But we also have a tendency to feel like, well, all they did was pray. And that's a cultural phenomenon here in America where if you say, oh, my goodness, that tragedy, we got to pray for them. Then people say, well, all you're going to do is pray like that. They don't believe anything happens when you pray. But we know that prayer moves the hand of God and that it is our mandate. We are mandated as Christians to pray. And in the film, I, I, the only little tidbit I'm going to give you because you have to go see it for yourself is they talk about the effect that when people are outside praying, the effect it has on the people in the clinic, the numbers that they see, what happens at the clinic. That when we pray outside of clinics, God literally moves inside that building. And so there's so much more that you'll learn from this movie. It's just phenomenal. Um, And the website, again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about Unplanned, the Abby Johnson story. Unplannedfilm.com is the website. You can see interviews, um, you can request in information, you can get the free audio book, you can spread the word with posters, flyers, bulletins, videos, and banners, which is how you can get a, a screening, you know, just print these out, pick a date, buy out a film place, maybe you have a, a high school gym that you could show it in. This producer, oh, he's just so on fire for God, and he's so passionate about this movie, and he was apologizing for the, the, the uh, he said, the production values, they're, they're good. But, I, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that you understand that this is a film that we put together. And, you know, they, of course, they didn't have the biggest budget, even though Mike Lindell of MyPillow.com dumped a million dollars into the film. I mean, it was already underway and he came in and dumped in a million bucks because that guy, that MyPillow guy, he's doing a lot with his money. He's doing, he's doing a lot for the kingdom with his money. Um, so anyway... The production values are beautiful. The film is so well done. You're not going to be sitting there thinking you're watching something that's independently produced. You're going to think this is just as good as anything you've seen Susan Sarandon in or you know any of the others, any of the other A-list celebrities. We got time for one more call, Tom in Arkansas. Hey, Tom, thanks for calling the show. Yes. Hey, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you getting me on. Uh, I just want to say about our Democratic Party, so-called Democratic Party, but I used to be a Democrat, was for many, many, many years, but they have left me, and what it's become, they claim liberalism, but it's become the Nazi Socialism Party because of the, uh, they don't teach history in school anymore, and kids don't have a clue what's going on. 
So I just like for people to wake up and pay attention mm-hmm. to what's really going on, especially when you have the news media taking their side and not letting you hear the whole story of everything. It's true. But and I you know to what, say, Tom? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, that's what I wanted to say. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that comment. I want to remind people, Tom is right. They don't get all the history they should in school. So what do you do as a parent? You make sure they get it. If you feel like the, uh, the gap between what your kids are getting and what they should be getting is great, start praying about what the Lord wants you to do. He may have homeschooling in store for you. He may have a homeschool co-op in your neighborhood where you don't have to be the primary teacher, but you would you know, have your children in that environment. Um, he just, God is able. He's able, and he's now raised up a whole generation of people. We're now on our third or fourth generation of homeschool parents where it, in the beginning they laid the groundwork. They they formed the foundation when they were writing their own curriculums and literally pulling books and reading hundreds of books over the summer and creating curriculums for their kids. And now those curriculums are available to you to buy for 350 or $400. And then you set it up and you maybe join a co-op for some of the classes. And before you know it, you're homeschooling and you're doing this. And I'm speaking as a parent who I always say I'm not called to homeschool. And the two children we have in school right now, they're not being homeschooled, but we have found a Christian school that we feel like is, is God's will for them. But our older daughter homeschooled her senior year last year. And I, I can tell you, I was drugged into that dis- situation. I had to be told by the pastor's wife that that was a good idea, literally. Like God sent her to me in, on a Sunday to, to get me on board. And it worked out great. And so if I could do it for one year, anybody could do it for their entire kid's education. I'm, I'm just being real with you real quick. So they have this beautiful devotional over at unplannedfilm.com. And I want to read you this expert, excerpt. Where there is grief, he anoints your head with joy. Where there is guilt, he offers you forgiveness. Where there is shame, he covers you in grace. Where there is regret, he wraps you in comfort. Where there is depression, he lifts your heart with hope. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that they would all heed your will and go and see this film and that they would step out in courage and faith and speak the truth to everyone in their midst. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.